Let's get it going on the Arrowhead Attic Podcast, a part of the fan-sided podcasting network and arrowheadattic.com. I'm one of your hosts, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. I'm also joined by Arrowhead Tom. What's going on, Tom? Oh, not a whole lot. Of course, you know, the second we start recording, there's a train that's pulling up. That's all right. Uh, just excited to be back and, and talk about this first wave of uh, free agency and uh, to talk football. I think with everything else going on in the world, it's good to have a little bit of a distraction. Yeah, just a little bit of escapism here. Uh, we won't talk about the coronavirus today, but we will talk about how it impacts the NFL on Thursday because it actually surprisingly does impact the NFL with the draft and summer workouts and whatnot. But let's first start with the very first NFL news we got over the past week since I recorded on Thursday, and that's the CBA officially getting signed. Basically, 17 games in 2021, seven playoff teams in 2020, and it is a 10-year deal. I've already given my thoughts on this CBA because it's the exact same CBA that was rumored and leaked out prior to it getting signed. But, Tom, what do you think about the CBA? Yeah, I've I've got mixed feelings, uh, mostly because, you know, it means we don't have a, we're not going to have a lockout and, uh, you know, we'll have football. So that's nice. But um, I, I think in terms of what it means for the players, it's not not ideal. I think not, you know, not from, uh, from the top down anyways. I think the owners really had a very clear strategy in presenting this, and that was they targeted the bottom half of the rosters. You know, they targeted the guys who, you know, aren't going to be, um, you know, who aren't Patrick Mahomes and aren't going to be making $40 million a year here in a couple of years. These are the guys who may be in the league for two or three years, and I feel like they really leveraged, um, you know, a lot of those a lot of those new benefits and, you know, bumping up the salary a little bit. Um, I think that was, a, you know, it was a clear plan, and, and um, you know, we can, I guess, argue whether or not that deal was good or bad for everyone, but... Um, you know, in, in some ways, I, I am glad that we're going to see some of those guys who, um, you know, the practice squad guys, the guys who are, um, you know, the bottom part of the roster, they're going to have a little bit better um, opportunity to, to be taken care of. I mean, we, you know, we know, we know the life of an NFL superstar and we watch all these guys so closely, but you don't consider, you know, what is, what is the life of a guy like, you know, like Eric Dieter, who, you know, travels with the team, gets bumped up you know, every now and then, and then, you know, gets bumped down, and, and how much money he's making, you know, still probably more than I'll ever make, but, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into that lifestyle, so just knowing that those guys would be, you know, being taken care of a little bit better, and, you know, they, they do go through the same risks, they go to practice, they, you know, they take hits, all that stuff, you know, and in this, in this game, it's, it's one play away from being done at any time, and so, again, having a little bit more financial security for some of those guys on the bottom of the roster, I think especially when you take into consideration special teams players, um, that's huge. So um, on the other end, you know, 17 games when you're concerned about player safety, uh, I really wish they would have added a second bye week to that, but that didn't seem to be big on the NFL's, you know, to-do list. Um, I'm, not, I'm not super excited about the playoff thing. Again, you're adding – more matchups, you know, more games, more wear and tear. So I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Uh, but for the game of football, I think, you know, it, it's going to make it more profitable at the end of the day. And so uh, that's that's really what drives those conversations. I'm glad that we're going to have football, but I imagine that things will be a whole lot different here in a couple of years. Yeah, adding the playoff game was just weird to me especially because this was rumored on the heels of MLB 
announcing that they were thinking about expanding their playoffs, and they got absolutely killed for it. I mean, people were worried about you know 500 or worse teams getting into the MLB playoffs, which was a total fallacy because rarely is the seventh best team in in any uh, conference of the in the MLB 500 or, or worse. In the NFL, you have 500 teams already making the playoffs, or nine and seven teams already making the playoffs. So to add another game. Yes, we're all going to watch it, so it's kind of hypocritical to say this, but it won't be a good matchup. It's just going to be on, and and I'll you know come next you know come you know January I'll fall into it as well. I'll be right here watching you know all three of them or, or however many they're going to be on on the first weekend. I think it's going to be three for each uh, conference, but it's not going to be great football. So I just don't get people who are praising the NFL for adding this this playoff team, but also criticizing the MLB for thinking about adding extra playoff teams, but. All in all, the owners absolutely won this deal. Uh, the players, I think, didn't use their leverage enough. But all in all, it, this will all be forgotten in a year or two once we're once we're in the groove of football with 17 games and the extra playoff team. This will all be forgotten about until about you know nine years down the line when we have to do this all over again. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of Chiefs news this offseason, Chris Jones was tagged on Monday officially, and really we've all talked about this on this podcast on the website but it's now coming time to make your final stance your final predictions on all of this stuff and it really comes down to this is Chris Jones going to sign an extension before the next season starts is he going to play under the uh, under the franchise tag this next season or will he, or will he be traded in the offseason I think that they work out an extension between now and the start of the regular season what do you think yeah I think they're going they're angling for an extension um I will say when you know DeForest Buckner got traded to the Colts, um, that did catch my eye a little bit, and, and I think maybe the Chiefs are playing the market a little bit there. Uh, as much as that contract does kind of you know reset the market for what we could have to pay Jones, it also is an example of what you could get. And so, you know, I've said it a couple times, you know, in the Slack chat with the Arrowhead Attic people, like unless you're calling with value that's about a top 10 pick for Chris Jones, I'm not really going to answer the phone. I don't think you can uh, get fair value out of it. You're going to have to pay him a lot of money, but the cap's going to go up. You know, Again, they're adding games. There's new television deals. There's a lot that's going to change. Uh, if you're smart about it, you can get it done. You also, you know, I don't, I don't want to be um, in Brett Veach's shoes when he has to answer the, whatever reporter asks, you know, how can you let Chris Jones watch or walk and still have – um, you know, Anthony Hitchens or Sammy Watkins, you know, making all this money, you know, when maybe you, you could have restructured them or have just navigated those deals better. I, I think at the end of the day, Chris Jones is a playmaker. He's a big part of the defense. You can, you know, point to snap percentages and all that stuff all you want. But at the end of the day, I think this defense isn't as good as it was without him. And I think he is, you know, to lock him up long term would be a really smart move for Kansas City. Yeah, you have to pay Chris Jones. I know the Frank Clark contract. I know that you're going to have to pay Mahomes next year. I know all of the things that have to happen for the Chiefs, but this is the price of having a good team. You have to pay them, and then you have to execute on your draft picks. And I'll trust Andy Reid in that regard. I'll trust Brett Reach in that regard because you cannot let elite talent walk in the NFL. People who leave in free agency are like Kendall Fuller. They shouldn't be guys like Chris Jones that leave in free agency. So I think they're going to you know, extend him and figure the rest of it out because, again, with the NFL salary cap, yes, there is a salary cap. It will go up, as you mentioned. You can also finagle these numbers as much as you want to. So if you want something to happen, you can make something work. And Brett Veach has been 
very clear in all of his press conferences since the year ended that he wants this to work out with Chris Jones in an extension. Chris Jones has had some fun with it on Twitter, both good and bad for the Chiefs, uh, but reading between the lines on those tweets. But I think at the end of the day, when the dust settles, he will be locked up in Kansas City long term. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, again, when you look at some of the other guys that are coming off the books this year, um, you know, Kansas City has to make some tough decisions. I think, you know, Brett V. Brett Veach has said that and been honest about that, and I think we were already seeing a little bit of that with some of these these um, mid-tier, you know, lower roster role players, you know, uh, being let go. That's part of the reason why I think at this point they better be working on that Jones deal. Um, you know, you mentioned Kendall Fuller, who did, you know, sign with the Washington Redskins, um, and he got more money there than the Chiefs were ever going to be able to pay him, you know, and, and I'm okay with that. Um you know, that that's uh, it was good for him. Uh, I was a little surprised he went back to Washington, but I know it's a new, um, you know, uh, new coaching staff, new new defensive scheme, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, again, we, he was outpriced for Kansas City at that point. And, you know, again, we would love to have him back. I just think that uh, for what we got out of him, you know, again, he'll he'll always be a part of that championship team. But And he's got that, you know, that game-sealing interception. But, uh, you know, he got paid – good money to go to, to Washington and then good for him. Yeah, four years, $40 million is, in my opinion, an overpay for Kendall Fuller for what he is on the field. But he, of course, as you mentioned, will be a huge part of Chiefs history from, from now until forever. Uh, but, you know, he's a, he's a guy who surprisingly does like the Washington organization, which, you know, if, if you know that history between, uh, you know, the organization and their players, it's not, not a lot of them are like Kendall Fuller. Uh, if you look at Brashad Breedland, he's been vocal about saying how he hates the Redskins. Kendall Fuller will always like the Redskins. He's, he's going back there now after being involved in that Alex Smith trade, which I still think the Chiefs absolutely won, even if Alex Smith does not suffer that devastating injury. I think that they absolutely won that trade. But nonetheless, Kendall Fuller is gone. This was expected to me. I, you know, We both predicted him walking in for agency. There was just no way you could pay a guy like Kendall Fuller because he's a nice player to have, but he's not someone you go out of the way for and sign him whenever you're dealing with the constraints that the Chiefs are this year. Yeah, and I'm sure that they had had some some talks and, and probably had at least an offer on the table. Wouldn't surprise me if they you know kind of knew already that he was priced out. But the other thing with with Kendall is as much as he was um, you know played a big part of the defense the last couple of years. You know he did last two years he's been banged up and you know he missed part of the season this year and, and you saw some good things from uh, from Rashad Fenton who's a rookie so. I think the Chiefs are a little more comfortable moving on, knowing that they've got some pieces that can kind of fill in for him, and that they uh, he, he was kind of a luxury at this point. Yeah, and, and his injury history has dated back since his first stint in Washington, and so that's another reason, as you mentioned, that this is a move I'm totally fine with the Chiefs not making. Uh, but nonetheless, he returns back to Washington, and the Chiefs make one more move themselves to the time that we're recording this, obviously. They re-sign Chad Henney to a two-year million deal. Matt Moore is expected to pursue other opportunities. They choose Chad Henney over Matt Moore, and I think that this was the right decision. I was a little surprised by it, but I I think Chad Henney has been around and and has a good relationship in the locker room. Um, I was, you know, impressed with what I saw from Matt Moore, but, um, you know, I think Chad Henney just has better relationships and probably has a, seems to have a, a pretty... Uh, important role in terms of just really having uh, Mahomes' trust. I think, you know, during the playoffs, 
Um, you know, you saw him sitting next to him a lot on the bench and talking through things. And I think that, you know, if your franchise quarterback likes the backup, you know, who's a better sounding board, that's really important. You know, you obviously want somebody who can come in and, and win a game, but, you know, for the most part, you're playing to not be in that situation. And so when you're not in that situation, you want to make sure that that guy's, you know, doing something useful. And if he's got a good relationship with your starter and he can, you know, provide some, uh, you know, just a different outlook or a different, you know, approach to things and help him see things differently, that's good. Yeah, Chad Henney is is a – I really didn't care who the backup was, but I think Chad Henney is the right decision because he's fine. I mean, as you mentioned, he's a coach on the field pretty much. I mean, if you have to put Matt Moore or Chad Henney into the contest for longer than – you know, two games, three games, your season's shot anyway. Now, Matt Moore did a good job this season of weathering that storm, and he, like Kendall Fuller, will be a part of this team's legacy and, and history and organizational history forever. But most of the time, neither one of these quarterbacks are going to matter. And if Patrick Mahomes gets hurt for a long-gated period of time, neither one of these quarterbacks was going to save him. So the fact that he likes, you know, that Mahomes likes Henny and that Henny has been involved in mentoring Mahomes for a long time now and can be, like you said, a sounding board and, and be a, another coach, another set of eyeballs on the offense, I think that that's the experience wins out there in that battle because neither one of these guys are transcendent enough to actually carry this team if something did happen to Mahomes. So the Chiefs also lost Emmanuel Ogba this offseason to the Miami Dolphins, so I think, we'll talk about this on Thursday, but I think that the Dolphins are having a very good offseason. They signed Emmanuel Ogba to a two-year $15 million deal. I was surprised by this because on my offseason you know, prediction podcast, I said, hey, I think Ogba's going to be back this year. I think that injury sucks for him, but I think he takes yet another prove-it deal with the Chiefs and again capitalizes on being paired with Chris Jones and, and Frank Clark and again leads this team in sacks and has a full healthy year. And then the next year, he bounces for a big payday. He gets a two-year $15 million deal from Miami and good for him. You know, of course, he was having a phenomenal year before the injury, but I'm kind of bummed he's not in Kansas City anymore. Yeah, I agree. I really liked watching Ogba play. Um, I thought, you know, that was one of the, um, you know, really when you look at this roster and look at how, you know, some of the moves that Brett Veach has made, uh, the Ogba trade was one that, you know, restored a lot of faith in Brett Veach's ability. It's one of the things we've seen him do is, is you know, reclaim players who, um, had a lot of potential, or, or even some guys that we haven't heard of. You know, Trevarius Ward was, you know, nobody knew who that was, but he's shown a, the ability to flip these pieces um, that aren't going to make the roster in Kansas City for, well, starting starting caliber players. That's really what Emmanuel Agba was for Kansas City for several weeks, and I think you could make an argument there for probably that first half of the season. He was, you know, uh, I think you'd put him, you know, in the conversation for, you know, probably the, the second best defensive end on the roster behind Frank Clark, and even then with Frank Clark dealing with some of those injuries, Agba kind of stepped up in some big moments. So, uh, you know, his injury in the middle of the year was really disappointing. Uh, it, it's a tough one. I think, again, probably a situation where the Chiefs had an offer on the table. I think it's probably a one-year deal. Um, you know, they, they want him to pay back, to come back, but, you know, they're paying Alex Okafor to be the, the starter over there. Uh, whether or not that's a good move, it's hard to tell because in, in the same way you know Okafor only played part of the season he had some good moments he had some bad moments but I felt like Agba was really pushing him for that starting position uh, even you know regardless of the injuries so uh, I think it's interesting I think the Dolphins are getting a really good player for um, I, I think it's a good deal for the Dolphins they didn't you know they didn't overspend I think that's just about where you want to pay him 
I think it's probably a little bit more than what Kansas City could have done. I think the two-year commitment's probably more than what they wanted to do. And so, you know, I don't think it's a, you know, situation where you have any hard feelings towards anyone. It just didn't work out. Uh, I think he's going to, you know, I think he's going to be a pretty good player. Uh, overall, he's still pretty young. And he was he was a lot of fun to watch. You know, we'll miss that. And um, like I said, we, we do have, you know, Alex Okafor on the roster who's, you know, being paid the starting, uh, you know, starting salary. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, I think if most people had to say, well, they would have rather had kept Ogba. But, again, you know, you never know how those things are going to play out long term. But, yeah, sad to see him go. He was a good player for, for Kansas City. played an important role. And uh, hopefully he, he does really well in Miami. Ogba, I think, is going to do well in Miami. And I think that also, though, for the Chiefs, if you want to kind of flip this around, as we both have been, you know, outwardly supportive of Ogba and wanting him back in Kansas City, I do think having the luxury of a Frank Clark and a Chris Jones in that same defensive line does benefit a lot of guys that you put in that front seven and will make them look better the same way it made Ogba look better. So this isn't the end of the world, but it would have been nice to re-sign Emmanuel Ogba. What is the end of the world? That's what we call a great segue in the business is the Texans trading DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals for washed-up David Johnson, a second-round pick, and then a fourth-round pick, but they also had to return a fourth-round pick to Arizona. So really, I'm only counting this as David Johnson and a second-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. What is Bill O'Brien doing? Does he have the coronavirus? Does he think that the coronavirus means go out there and drink all of the corona beers in the world and then make NFL trades all day? What is going on in Houston? I have no idea, but I just, you know, in my mind I go, you know, how is it fair that this guy gets to call the shots for an NFL team, but we're sitting here and I said, we, we could do better at this point. You know, I know that that's kind of hyperbole and people, you know, but this this deal is, um, it's awful. It's awful any way you cut it. Um, if, I, if I recall correctly, I think they even lost money on the deal. I think uh, David Johnson's contract comes in. Much higher than than what DeAndre. Yeah, Hopkins they're taking was. on all of Johnson's money, all, all, the entire contract, yeah. for a yeah, second and, round pick. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty much a nightmare um, scenario. I don't know. I, you know, again, I this man is. Uh, it's baffling how he has a job. I'm sure he's a you know nice guy. I don't want to put throw him under the bus or anything. I don't know him personally, but you know, just you know, as a, as our job to evaluate these types of things. Man, I, and I think it's pretty unanimously agreed upon. This was a really bad move. I don't see, and I don't foresee this being, you know, uh, something that that changes and and is redeemed in a couple months. One of the things that was crazy to me is I saw is you know since he's become the GM of the Texans, they've traded for three running backs. Uh, they gave up a third round pick for for Duke Johnson. They obviously traded for Carlos Hyde uh, last year with Kansas City and gave up uh, Martinez Rankin who, even though he was hurt, looks like he could potentially be a starter for in this offense. And then now they've traded for David Johnson. And so uh, that's kind of a strange strange pattern of behavior. And, you know, I kind of wonder if maybe he's secretly a Titans fan and he's there to, you know, uh, just make the Texans really bad. Because they've, they've gotten rid of, um, you know, a couple years ago, their franchise was DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, and Jadavian Clowney. And, you know, they've brought in Deshaun Watson – but other than that, they haven't added much talent-wise, and, and it just makes you wonder, you know, what it would cost to get J.J. Watt out of Houston and uh, and that type of stuff because it seems like there's there's an attitude of almost like a fire sale without, um, you know, without acknowledging it. And, and it's, it's kind of baffling, especially when you have a young 
franchise QB to be taking away his his number one target to be taking away a guy who's pretty unanimously agreed upon as you know I think you would I don't think anybody would argue with me if I said he was a top three wide receiver in the NFL if not said you know he was the number one receiver I I don't know how he has a job I don't know how the owner didn't step in and say no this trade isn't happening you're you know you're fired and and we'll go you know we'll go hire those guys on the Arrowhead Attic podcast to run the team because they at least have some more sense than this but I it it blew my mind. I remember, you know, the news kind of came out in two parts. It was, you know, there were some rumors that DeAndre Hopkins might get traded, and then there was, you know, the initial news that said David Johnson had been traded to the Texans. And in the back of my mind, I thought, there's no way that, you know, this deal includes DeAndre Hopkins. And if it does, the Cardinals are probably going to end up, you know, sending a lot along with that contract. Uh, and they didn't. And I was just kind of waiting all day, like, okay, what's what's the catch? What's the kicker? And there was nothing, you know, it was just a second and fourth David Johnson for, you know, and that's just a, an awful deal. Yeah, there's so many ways you can take this trade. I mean, first of all, I don't want to hear any excuses of any sort of drama behind the scenes. I don't care if DeAndre Hopkins was the most difficult person to work with of all time, because Stefan Diggs is just as difficult, only he does it outwardly. He outwardly criticizes the coaching staff, the quarterback, the organization, and they still got back more value for Stefan Diggs, who is by far a worse player than DeAndre Hopkins. He's not even in DeAndre Hopkins' world, his realm, I don't think, in terms of skill talent. He got back double the assets of what DeAndre Hopkins got back, and he does his stunts and his diva nonsense outwardly. So I don't want to hear any excuses about DeAndre Hopkins off the field as a, as a person, which he seems like a great person, by the way. So I don't even know where that side is coming from since this trade has gone down. And then also the Patriots and another team inquired about Hopkins but couldn't give up enough assets. Did, did the Patriots not want to give up on you know Deion Lewis? I mean, did, did they not want to give up on Sonny Michelle for DeAndre Hopkins? Because they got back a terrible running back in a second-round pick. What what did you not want to give up on to get in on DeAndre Hopkins? A terrible, over-the-hill, washed-up, overpaid running back got you, at worst, the second-best receiver in football. If you want to criticize Hopkins' skill at its max capacity, you will, at worst, agree he's the second-best uh, receiver in football. Maybe yeah. third, but I would say second behind Michael Thomas. Mm-hmm. And that only netted you back... David Johnson, who's been bad for the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. It's insane to me, and I just I think that this ends the window of opportunity because you're going to have to pay Deshaun Watson, unless they want to trade him. J.J. Watt is not getting any younger, and he's not being that productive anymore, as we mentioned with the injury history, and, and you're going to try to take a flyer on him at the end of his career. That would make sense for a lot of teams to do, especially if they're just going to give away DeAndre Hopkins like this. But Will Fuller is another guy who's going to have to step up. He's always hurt. I don't like Randall Cobb, who they just signed. I don't see how this team, granted they do play in a bad division, but I don't see how this team's window of opportunity, this window of of success, is open for much longer, if at all. They were yeah, up 24 nothing, and it's all coming crashing down since then. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I agree. I don't get their line of thinking. Um, you know, they, they traded for Laramie Tunsil last year, and again, Tunsil's a, a solid left tackle, you know, up-and-comer. Some people would put him as a top-five guy. Uh, I think he, he still has some development to go, but they gave up a lot for him, especially when, you know, had they just stayed put. I mean, you know, they could have traded up in this year's draft 
and gotten a first, you know, a, a first round offensive tackle. I mean, we've got so many of them, um, you know, in this draft class. Um, man, I just I, I don't see long term vision. I don't see long term planning. I think it's very reactionary. It does sound like maybe some of the motivation to deal Hopkins was to do with conflict with the coach and just as somebody who you know whether you're general manager or head coach or in this, in this case both you know you have to learn to pick your battles you have to learn to draw your lines and decide you know what what's too much and, and what's too much but like you said by all by all accounts DeAndre Hopkins hasn't been you know a headache hasn't been a, a problem any conflicts have happened you know behind closed doors which just as an adult I mean that's what you you want. I mean, that's natural. You have a, a you have conflicts in your adult life, um, you know, and you have to deal with those things. But you know, so you know, until this all went down, there was never any. You know, I I wasn't aware of any issues with Hopkins in Houston and and that kind of thing. So it's it's kind of just a crazy, crazy day, uh, crazy deal. I again, I don't know how. Um, and you know, like you said, you ran down the lo- the roster. You know, JJ Watt's not getting younger. They're they're piecing in these these guys who, you know, really don't have um, much long term value or much consistency. Guys who can't stay healthy. You've got you know Deshaun Watson and Laramie Tunsil, and then a whole bunch of other guys. And you know you could say, well, the good news is you can rebuild through the draft, but you can't. You don't have any draft picks. You don't have a first pick this year. You don't have a first pick next year. You know you've you've given up. I mean, yeah, you've got a second round pick this year, but. You know, you're giving up picks left and right. You know, you're, the, the coverage pretty bare down in Houston. And it's it's unfortunate because I really like Deshaun Watson as a player. And I think we're getting robbed of a great, you know, potential playoff rivalry between Watson and Mahomes. You know, something that could have been the new Brady and, and Manning. And if Houston doesn't turn it around, we're not going to see them there in the playoffs very often. Yeah, I, I do hate that for this rivalry because it is fun. I mean, those are two of the the most fun quarterbacks to watch, in my opinion. I enjoy watching those quarterbacks more than anyone else. For Mahomes, he's the most talented. For Watson, he's the most exciting to me. Uh, you know, not, not more exciting than Mahomes, but he's the second most exciting, I should say. But Mahomes is the most talented quarterback there is in the NFL. So those two guys going back and forth is always going to be fun. And does this possibly change the schedule? Because there was some talk that maybe, you know, these two teams could open up the season. And without DeAndre Hopkins, you go from, again, a team that looks like a, a – lock for the playoffs to a team that's going to battle for that last wild card spot that doesn't have the same juice to it as it once did we'll see whenever that schedule comes out here in a couple weeks but it's interesting to think about for sure I think that this has to signal a rebuild though if you're the Texans I mean you're gonna have to pay Watson David Johnson's not good so I mean that's that's your big get for Hopkins I I just hate this move because I couldn't say it better myself you said it perfectly and the fact that we we've been robbed as football fans of a great you know series between those two guys in the regular season and in the postseason for the Chiefs side of things obviously you love whenever teams get weaker in your conference especially teams that we're going to challenge you but from the NFL standpoint of just loving football you're totally right now I touched on the Stefan Diggs thing a little bit if you want to say anything about this feel free all I'm going to say is to Stefan Diggs if you thought Kirk Cousins was bad, which I'm no fan of Kirk Cousins. If you listen to this show, you know that. But wait till you get with 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 Josh Allen. Wait till you're with Josh Allen, buddy. If you thought Kirk Cousins was bad. Yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that just loves Josh Allen just because of how you know um, 
how comedic his whole just play style and, and just sometimes how he uh, he just comes off. You know, he tweeted out uh, I think after the trade he said something like you know you dig, and I was like man that's the corniest tweet I've seen in a long time. Um, you know, I think Stefan Diggs is, is happy to be out of Minnesota. I think he wanted to be somewhere where he could be the primary guy. Um, and then that's all, you know, fine and dandy. But I don't think he's going to like it when, you know, those those targets are getting thrown, you know, 10, 10 feet above his head. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, and the other part of that is, you know, just as an AFC fan or as a team of the, of a, as a fan of a team in the AFC, um, as much as I kind of make fun of Josh Allen, you know, his whole thing is, you know, the upside, the potential. And I do like the move for the Bills in the sense that, you know, you're giving your your young quarterback a, a number one target. Um, how well that all works out, how well everything, you know, plays out is, is to be ter- to be determined. But uh, I do think it's an interesting fit there. Um, you know, hopefully that it can be something that, um, you know, again, another young quarterback who we could see and, you know, talk about guy, teams that are, competing for a wild card spot especially with the expansion you know the bills you could see them sneaking in you know more than one occasion and um and now you know with some other things happening they could even win that division uh talk about that here in a minute but you know there's probably gonna be some matchup there where kansas city and buffalo run into each other um you know regardless of who's playing for buffalo i'll always have some respect because i think uh outside of kansas city fans i think buffalo's got you know, just very intense fans. I have a, you know, kind of a mutual respect for them. But, yeah, I think it's an interesting fit. Uh, and it's just that deal, you know, what they got for, what the Vikings got for Stephon Diggs really was, you know, everybody already said the deal was bad for, for Hopkins. And then when the Diggs deal was announced, everyone was just like, this is exhibit A. You know, this is what you should have gotten at at minimum for DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, this is, you're right. What what should have happened for Houston for Diggs, though, I'm, I'm. This is a little bit of a hot take, I think. You know, maybe, but I'm not so sure he is a number one wide receiver. Who's going to get him open? Who's going to take the defense away the same way Adam Thielen did? The same way those running backs did in Minnesota? Who's going to lighten the load for Diggs and allow him to get open? Because I don't think he's one of those guys like a Hopkins, like a Hill, like like a Michael Thomas that can just win matchups. I, I think that he is very scheme and talent around him oriented. I don't entirely disagree with that. I think he's he's a solid player. Again, I'd probably put him um, top twenty, top fifteen. I'm kind of in agreement with you. I think he has to have a better supporting cast than what Buffalo currently has. We'll see what they add in the draft, but um, you know, again, giving up that first round pick when um, you know it is a pretty receiver heavy class. But they, they'll, I'm sure they'll add some weapons. And um, but I agree with you. I think he benefited from you know the attention that Thielen and some of those other guys you know. Uh, drew away from him, and he seems to be a guy who doesn't, you know, win a lot of matchups just on his own um, his own abilities, and needs to be schemed open a little bit. So we'll end the show talking about this next move, but don't worry, we're going to cover every move on on Thursday. We're going to record again on Thursday night, but this move is probably the most interesting move in terms of the general NFL. This is what you're going to be hearing about a lot tomorrow in the next few weeks. And it's that Tom Brady has just signed before we started recording with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for around $30 million or so. And I just cannot believe, well, I can believe that it happened, but I just cannot get behind giving a mediocre at best quarterback 
$30 million. I get that it's Tom Brady. I get the marketability. I get the fact that he's going to bring relevancy to a franchise that hasn't been very relevant in its entire history. But I'm still not with paying a mediocre quarterback $30 million. He has all all the weapons there with Michael Thomas and... and, and, Not Michael Thomas, with (laughs) Mike Evans. It would have been nice to have Michael Thomas, but with Mike Evans, they have a lot of weapons, but... I still don't think he's a good quarterback in 2020, and it sucks to say because we, you know we all grew up watching Tom Brady, we all grew up res- respectfully hating Tom Brady. He's a good guy, but you know you just hate him because he always wins. I just him and Philip Rivers. I don't get why teams are just so enamored with them and wanting to throw money at them. The only reason is because of the marketability factor. I think. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think uh, I'm probably a little more critical of the Philip Rivers move just because he just. I mean. Uh, he just looked done, and I don't know. Maybe he's you know nursing an injury, but he did not look like the same guy who's, who's you know played. But you can say the same thing about Tom Brady. Um, you know, this last year in New England, I mean, they were still the Patriots, but he really struggled. I think you could tell that he was a little checked out. I think he's thought about this decision for a while. Um, you know, everybody will will speculate and talk about you know whose ego got in the way. Was it Belichick or, or Brady or? You know, which, who will be more successful? Um, I, I think it's an interesting fit. I think Bruce Arians is a really good coach, and they must have had some really, you know, really good chemistry to talk about things, especially when you consider that, you know, uh, Bruce Arians runs a very vertical passing game. It's not, it's not a lot of this underneath stuff that, you know, Tom Brady is used to in, you know, in New England. Not a lot of stuff where it's, you know, a dump out and check down and, uh, and that's not to say that, that Tom Brady can't, you know, throw the ball deep, but I think that that's one of the questions you ask with an older quarterback is, does he still have that? So I kind of wonder if there's a part of him that wants to prove that he can still be the guy who, you know, a decade ago, um, you know, I think of the 2007, you know, season when he was just, you know, chucking bombs to Randy Moss, like it was a walk in the park. I think there's a part of me that wonders if he still thinks, you know, he, he's trying to prove that he's still that guy. Um I do think they have some good weapons there. You mentioned, you know, Mike Evans and O.J. Howard, and they've added some pieces already, and they'll continue to do that. Um, I I do think it's kind of a short-sighted move. I'm curious if they're going to bring in a quarterback to sit behind Tom Brady, but I think that history has shown that he doesn't really like that too much. You know, he doesn't like, uh, you know, he doesn't want somebody looking over his shoulder. He's not really, um, you know, the Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo situation made me think he was really not a big fan of mentoring his replacements. So I, I think it's an interesting situation, but I also think you have an older coach in Bruce Arians who has never really seemed to be too interested in working with the younger guys. You know, um, even back to his, his stint in Arizona, it was, you know, Carson Palmer and, and guys like that who were a little bit older, a little more experienced. And, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, I think the Buccaneers had a very up-and-down season last year, and I think the biggest difference is, you know, they're not going to turn the ball over as much, and that, I think, will be will be huge. I think every, you know, statistic will tell you the less you turn the ball over, the more, you know, the more you'll win a game. You don't win a lot of games with, you know, um, with more giveaways than takeaways. So um, it'll be interesting. The other thing, I, I you know, I'd consider and I'd point out is, you know, when you look at the divisions in football, um, you know, it's interesting that the AFC East, especially the Dolphins, who, you know, have had a pretty good run the last couple of days, and the Bills were, were getting a little bit better, and uh, the Jets are, well, the Jets, but, you know, um, they're starting to get some, 
some bigger pieces in there. I think the Dolphins are looking like a bigger threat, and and then you know Tom Brady goes to a division where you know you have the Panthers who are you know in full blown rebu- rebuild mode. You have um, the Falcons who are also rebuilding, and you know probably going to be moving on from Matt, or you know Matt Ryan's getting older. I don't know how long, how much longer he'll play, but um, you know th- those kinds of things where. They've got a lot of cap casualties, and so the Falcons, and you have two teams in that division who are rebuilding, and you've got the Saints who, you know, as, as awesome as Drew Brees is, the Saints have never been known for defense, and so I kind of wonder if, if Brady says, you know, this is just going to be, you know, I wonder how much he took that into consideration. They, you know, there was some early um, early speculation that the Chargers wanted Tom Brady to come out there, and, and you know, I said it um, on Twitter, if if. Tom Brady signed with the Chargers. The Chiefs should re-sign Chris Jones and announce that signing literally two minutes after Brady signs his contract. Um, you know, I think that this is a good move for Tom and the fact that he's going to a division that, that is pretty wide open um, outside of the Saints. And even if you um, you know get past the Saints, you I think you have a lot of opportunity to make it into the playoffs in the NFC. And this move is going to be talked about for really the rest of the offseason. And I'll tell you why, because while I think that both these guys, Brady and Rivers, are mediocre quarterbacks, there are so many avenues you can take this, so many devil arguments that you can, devil, what is it called? Whatever. Devil's advocate. Devil, devil's advocate, whatever arguments you can make about these two guys. Uh, for Tom Brady, he's never played with this amount of weapons before, I don't think. He he has a offensive-minded coach, a very good offensive-minded coach in Bruce Arians. For Philip Rivers... You go from a pedestrian offensive line to one of the best in football with the Colts. Can that rejuvenate his career? Can that revitalize him in any way? You're also playing inside. Uh, you know, all, you're playing a, in a worse division. Uh, well, you know, you don't have the Chiefs to go after. I should say, <laughs> you, you're the rest of the AFC West is pretty terrible. But you no longer have that Chiefs, you know, team to to beat you down. So there's a ton of ways you can take this. I think that your point was the best one and the most interesting one about how the divisions have now kind of flipped in the sense that you see the AFC East getting getting improved and, and getting better and then he goes to the uh, NFC South where like you said Panthers are going to rebuild I don't believe in the Falcons whatsoever uh, he improves the Bronco he improves the Bucks a little bit and the Saints are really the only team that's a lock right now for a a playoff spot and the NFC in general I think has a lot more open openness to it. You know, what are the Eagles going to turn into? What are the Cowboys going to do? You know, there's too many question marks. What are the Bears going to do? There's too many question marks around that NFC, I think, that do not find themselves in the AFC where you know for sure, okay, the Chiefs are going to run away with this thing. Even the 49ers who made it there last year, do you believe that they're absolutely 100% going to go to the Super Bowl again or going to even make the NFC title game again? I have that confidence in the Chiefs, not just as a Chiefs fan, but as an NFL you know, observer. I think that they are built to sustain, where I don't think that there's anyone like that in the NFC that's built for sustained success. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, again, there's... Uh, and I'm not saying... I'm not accusing Tom Brady of trying to, you know, take the, the easier road, but um, I think it would have, been, would have been interesting had he, you know, chosen a team like the Chargers. I think the other part you have to wonder is, you know, we talked earlier about how the, the Patriots were in on uh, DeAndre Hopkins and you know 
there's always the I think there will always be the question of what if the Patriots had gotten DeAndre Hopkins? Do you think Tom Brady would have stayed? And I did this, I I think he would have. Uh, you know, because again, you know, having those weapons around you, having you know a stronger supporting cast, I think that was part of what his you know his struggle this last year in New England was. Is um, you know he's he's not had the the you know the biggest supporting cast, and it's kind of interesting when you think about it. I mentioned the 2007 season. You know, he had a Hall of Famer in Randy Moss, uh, and then it wasn't much longer after that when he had, you know, a Hall of Fame tight end and, and Rob Gronkowski. And, you know, Wes Welker and Julian Edelman have been good complementary pieces to that. And so it's he's, you know, he's had some talent there, and it seems like now that some of that has been you know, taken away or some of that's getting older and, and is less available. I think it's interesting that Tom is leaving when he's leaving. Um, and, you know, again, the move that the Patriots tried to make, uh, it's interesting. So we'll see how it all unfolds. But uh, Tom Brady's going to be a Buccaneer, and that's that's weird to even think about. Yeah, and I don't think that your point is should be lost on anyone. You're not, you're not making this hokey argument, this, this traditional sports media argument of, oh, he's scared of competition. I think you're right. Tom Brady is putting himself in the best position to succeed, not because he's afraid to compete with Patrick Mahomes in the in the AFC or especially in the AFC West, but because he wants to win as many games possible in these next two years and prove record-wise and and, accol- and accolades-wise and, and things like that, that he, he can do it alone. And if you're always falling short to Mahomes and you're always you know falling short to, of your goal in the AFC where there's not a clear path to get there, then you're not going to get that immediate gratification that I think you can in the NFC. I think that the NFC is truly wide open. And again, I don't think that's the case in the AFC. So I do think that Tom Brady's move was a little bit incentivized by the pathway to another Super Bowl, as it should be. You should always be looking to put yourself in the best position to win a championship if you're a competitor. He is a competitor, and he, I think, is a little bit more icing on the cake that he will get to prove if he can pull this off, if he can be a good quarterback, if he can be better than I think he is, that he can prove he can do it without Bill Belichick. I think that's a huge motivating factor as we get the train to start the show and to end the show. Yeah. Yep. Um, so again, I think you said it's the the competition factor, but yeah, these trains are always uh, always coming through. So um, yeah, I think that again, it's going to be an interesting offseason. It's disappointing to see uh, Tom Brady leave the Patriots because I wanted to see the Chiefs beat them just one more time, just or maybe two <laughs> or three more times. But you know, uh, that's okay because I believe if I remember right, the the Chiefs play Tampa Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay next year, so that'll be a that'll be one to circle on the calendars. Absolutely. So that will conclude today's episode. We talked about the CBA, Chris Jones, Kendall Fuller, Chad Henney, Emmanuel Agba, the terrible Texans trade, the very good, uh, you know, Bills at Vikings trade to get Diggins out of there for a, a nice haul. And also Tom Brady on Thursday night, we're going to record another episode. That'll be how coronavirus has impacted the NFL and all other transactions that we have not talked about today. We'll carry that over to Thursday and cover everything up into that point. So, Tom, do you have any other words, anything else to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I've got nothing else to say other than if you, uh, you know, enjoyed hearing my uh, mildly interesting takes, you can find me at Arrowhead Tom on Twitter, and uh, my writings over at ArrowheadAddict.com, uh, another site for the, the podcast. But look forward to talking to you guys Thursday. 
It's going to be fun. You can follow him on Twitter, as he said, at Arrowhead Tom. Follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Stiles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Check out ArrowheadAddict.com as this is the Arrowhead Addict Podcast on the Fanside Podcasting Network. Be good and be good to one another, and we'll see you on Thursday.